Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I am Carl Quintanilla, informal Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. We're going to start with the big after-hour story, of course. It's Apple surging after beating on the top of the bottom line. The conference call kicking off right now. Take a look at the stock, up almost 5.5%. Full team coverage, Josh Lipton in Cupertino outside of Apple HQ. Gene Munster monitoring the call on his red iPhone. Let's kick it off with Josh, who just spoke to Tim Cook. Josh? So, Carl, I did have the chance to catch up with uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook. And one question, Carl, right off the back was clearly, what are the trends he's seeing in China? Greater China revenue, Carl, $10.22 billion. Now, that was down 22%. But I asked Cook, what are the trends he's seeing there? Is he seeing signs of improvement? And Cook telling CNBC he is, saying March was better than the average for the quarter. We adjusted price as we got into the quarter. We adjusted it to take back the weakness in the currency. Next, we rolled out our trade trade-in program that had gotten some success in the United States. And I believe that the trade relationship, I don't mean the tariff, I mean the tone, is much better today than it was in the November-December time frame. That affects consumer confidence in a positive way. Also, ask caller about the replacement cycle. Listen, we know that's lengthening. People are keeping their iPhones longer. It's something Apple itself has talked about on the conference calls. Um, the executives at Apple argue they do have levers they can pull, though. They talk about pricing plans. They talk about their trade-in programs. I asked Cook how well those are working. Cook telling us a combination of the trade-in program and the installment plans have led our retail and online performances to be markedly better than they were. And I feel that is gaining traction. Clearly, the price adjustment in China has helped as well, both the part that we did and the part in April that the government really led with their stimulus program of the VAT, the value-added tax reduction. And finally, Carl, I did ask him about Qualcomm. Um, obviously, a very nasty legal fight there. Uh, we covered it extensively on CNBC. Then those two companies uh, made that deal right during opening arguments in that courthouse in San Diego. Ask Cook, listen, what changed? What brought you to the table there? Cook telling us, we came to an arrangement on three really key things. One was a multi-year supply arrangement. The second was a royalty rate and a direct license, which was very important to both parties. And then the third thing was get rid of the bloody litigation. And so those three things lined up, and we found the intersection of all those things that would be good for both companies. And it is good to have that behind us. Conference call is ticking off right now, Carl. I'll bring you headlines as they come. Back to you. All right, Josh, thanks. We'll check in with you later, including tonight's move. Apple is up more than 45% from the January 3rd low. Are Apple's woes behind it? And do you keep buying the stock? Guy Adami, what do we do? Well, for now, so you can't just start with that. I mean, we've been doing this so long. This is your maiden <laughs> yeah, voyage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is unbelievable. This Here is the questions, and it's not about me. Slip that through. Welcome, Carl. Welcome, Carl. Welcome, Carl. Welcome, Welcome, Carl. 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 Welcome,
as revenues continue to grow in services, and now they're 19.7%, the valuation of Apple has to get better. And that, I think, what's happening now. The question you have to ask yourself is, as that number of services goes from 20% to 25 what is the right multiple for Apple? I would submit it's close to a market multiple, maybe 18 times. That gets you a $235 stock thereabouts. If you want to give them a bit of a discount, 16, 16 and a half, it's fairly priced here. But I think that's the calculus that you have to do going out of these numbers. Well, now. It, what's interesting is actually the street now seems to be giving you a hybrid valuation, right? You're getting guys that are giving you essentially a software valuation for half of it, or at least proportionate to the revenues and services uh, blended with a hardware valuation. And I think it does get you actually um, somewhere around the S&P, which uh, I think if you count Apple X cash, it's actually still there's still a lot of value here. Um, when you add in the fact that this company is going to do $50 billion of capital markets activity, probably in the form of buybacks, maybe they increase the dividend, but they pay you well. Um, I, I don't see why you don't stay long in the stock, despite a stock that was so overbought, so outperformed the rest of the market going into this. It makes this move to me after market very impressive. Although yep. going into the print was not, it didn't run in hot, right? That no, helped. that's true. I think, you know, last night's Google disappointment clearly didn't. I'm, I'm surprised it actually wasn't hit worse, that everything wasn't hit worse. But, you know, they did they did increase the dividend. They, the buyback is big. That's, that's a really aggressive buyback. Google, you really could learn a lot from the buyback activity at Apple, just throwing that in there. But I think, I agree, agree with you, it's, it's, it's about fairly-ish priced, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of something this big would actually be, it's fairly priced. I own it. It's not a giant position. I probably wouldn't add here. But I think there's a big sigh of relief that China did not, that it didn't get worse. In fact, it seemed to have gotten better. You know, they talked about repricing a little bit in March. Uh, maybe that's why some of the hardware gross margin was, I think, a little bit softer. Mm. I don't know. We'll see what they say on the call. But a uh, big sigh of relief as, a, as an owner. Well, this, <laughs> here's my question. If uh, Cook's comments about tariffs, right, mm -hmm. and China tone being better, does that mean we can stick with the cyclical hardware unit story a little bit longer? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I think, listen, a lot of this is priced in. As you mentioned, we're up 45% off the lows. We've priced a lot of this in. I think the risk to Apple here is, is this as good as it gets? So a lot of stuff in this report was, was fantastic, but a couple things that weren't so fantastic. Right? We have year-over-year -year revenue declines. Apple hasn't really seen that. We have some concerns about the iPhone sales. Yeah, they were better than Street expected, but they were still down. Are they going to be able to take that, that share back? We saw Google spending a lot of money on their Pixel in competition. So at the fairly valued price that it is, as everybody somewhat agrees on here. I don't. Is this as, you think there's more upside? Well, then maybe, maybe this isn't as good as it gets. But I think this is about as good as it gets. I think in terms of valuation, in terms of what the market is expected here, in terms of what, what I think the consensus is, consensus is double-digit declines on, on iPhone units. I mean, there's, there's no secret to that. That's in the price. So to me, um, if this company has any upside, I think both from services, which is Let's face it, the delta in today's move from a flat number to where it is is all about services because I think the market could have been at 17% on services. But I, I tell you, look, in this market, in this, you know, where we are at whatever stage of this rally you want to call this, Apple to me seems to be one of the safest plays relative to uh, what I think is a market that's probably a little frothy. We love to talk about cash levels whenever Apple comes up. Cash quarter on quarter, down eight. Down 8% to 225. Interesting. Which is still a staggering number, <laughs> yeah. though. I mean, if we talk about down 8%, still 225. Yeah, it is interesting. But to Karen's point there, at least they're putting 
at least they're putting the money to work. Now, you can argue maybe they should be making acquisitions, but the fact that $75 billion buyback is not insignificant at all. And I think Brian makes an excellent point. I think if service revenues were declining and were 14% with the numbers you cited, we'd talk have a much different story now. But the product mix is changing, and I think the valuation has to but change as well. But is it? That's well. the question, It right? seems to be. The, service, the services depend on iPhone growth. That's how, you, that's how they get their services. People aren't all of a sudden just signing up for Apple services without a phone. So if you have a decline in their core product, do you still get that growth? I think people do sign up for some services with a phone they already own. That they don't be, they didn't buy a new one. That would be the best case scenario, right? Mm-hmm. They buy a new one and they load it up with all kinds of services. But I think you'll see some adding to phones that are out you there. You don't think that Cook's installed base story, billion phones around the world, that doesn't that doesn't ring to you? I think, no, it's, I think it's in the I think it's in the price is what I'm saying. I'm not I'm not arguing that the story doesn't work. I'm just saying at these levels, 45% off the low. These are all things that we know. So the risk here is to the downside. That's all I'm saying. I don't think you have to short it. I don't think Apple's going out of business. All I'm saying, if you've caught this 45% run, take some off the table, buy yourself a new iPhone. One of those those age-old conversations about Apple is, are you an investor or are you a trader, right? And I think people line up on both sides of this. And I think this is a great time, if I may, you know, kind of interpret some of your your criticism. This is is in time to be an investor. Um, Because I I, I think, you know, ultimately, look, I want to own Apple long term and I want to own it because uh, if you guys are, Carl, you bring up the very important installed base. It's, you know, outside of Facebook, who's got a more ludicrously, let me work on my hyperbole. (laughs) Let's just say this is a tremendous asset for Apple and they continue to lever it. And let's face it, we all would agree they haven't really levered this enough. But when I think of the multiple that services companies get, whether it's AWS or whether it's Salesforce, uh, and I think of the management team at Apple, why wouldn't I be giving these guys a premium, especially on that installed base, to be an investor long term uh, and maybe be cautious on the short term? I think you can be tactical, but I don't think you want to run far away. Well, that's the thing. What is the value? We, Karen and I were just talking about it before the show. What's the right valuation for their services business? We sort of went back and forth maybe 25 times. Uh, but I don't know if that's right. I mean, you can make an argument that it should be more than that, or maybe it shouldn't be as much because they're such a mature company. I don't know, but I think 25 is reasonable. You can do the math in your head. But I think, you know, again, Brian I brings up... I can do math in, in my head. You know, Hold no, on. Would you say I couldn't do math I in said my head? You yeah, no, can't I think do did. the math in your head. I- I, I said called that. you out on your it's your tinnitus that's <laughs> creating problems, number one. They sell things on CNBC for that. Get out of here. Number two, it's actually been a good trading stock. If you think about it, this was a $225 stock at the end of last year, traded down to 145 and here we are again. So for traders, that's a panacea. So you can make the argument it should be investor, not trade. But quite frankly, this has become a good trading stock. For more on Apple, let's bring in Loop Ventures founder, Fast Money friend, Gene Munster. Gene, uh, your big takeaways from the quarter so far. Carl, I think there are three that aren't as obvious. And the first is this company is an earnings powerhouse. And I want to put that into perspective. We just usually gloss over that EPS number. They're going to earn more money over the next five years. This is what we estimate compared to overall FANG combined, or call it equal amount. So this is underappreciated, I think, by investors in an important part, gap earnings powerhouse. The second is I want to put a finer point on China. It did improve. Uh, specifically, the iPhone was the pain point last quarter. We estimate that the iPhone, this is not a reported number, was down 40%, 4-0, in the December quarter, and it was likely down uh, 28% in the March quarter. So that was the kind of the magnitude of improvement. 
And the last is the significance of the buyback. I've been on the call here, so I haven't heard uh, the full conversation that you've been having. But this buyback, maybe you cover this. This is a huge deal. And just to put it into perspective, is that they, if they make good on their promise, so we're going to be listening for the call and the timing on this, to be net cash neutral. If they make good on that promise over the next five years, that theoretically should raise the stock price by about 25%. I won't go through the details and the math on that. But those are my three biggest takeaways. They're less about this quarter. One, if I had to add a fourth, which is an important one, is this is probably the best play on 5G. And uh, we're going to get tired of hearing about Apple and 5G, uh, but stay tuned for more on that. Gene, it's Karen. Let me just ask you something about that aggressive buyback. I know they generate a ton of cash. Do you think that they should hold back some of that in case they do want to do a very meaningful acquisition or they could just generate it and even become somewhat indebted if they had to? So they have the they will still have after they get net cash neutral, they'll still have about one hundred and thirty billion in cash on the balance sheet. Uh, they also will have 100, excuse me, 115, 115 in cash. There's 115 in debt. So that's, uh, so Karen, they'll have uh, $100 billion to, if you will, make a massive acquisition, even at net cash neutral. Hey, Gene, it's Tim. Remind us where you are in terms of Apple TV and just you know, what you think the timeline is for this being either meaningful uh, or truly accretive to the story we're talking about here. It's still early. Probably the best play is going to be around the services side and what we're going to hear about in the fall in terms of that seven, probably $7 a month, the video subscription piece. It just plays into that, that services segment. I was uh, wrong for years on them coming out with a TV. I don't expect them to do that. The way you get Apple TV now is you buy a Samsung TV that has Apple Embedded, which just uh, started to ship. LG has one, too. Uh, but I think what, you know, I just want to wrap this up before I jump back on the call, Carl. I think investors are, are largely underappreciating what this stock can do. I think this, uh, this story could be a $350 stock over the next uh, couple of years. And I think that they're going to surprise people on this earnings power. Gene, we're going to check in with you later in the hour. Uh, thanks very much, Gene Munster, talking some Apple Thank today. You. Put a point on all of this, Karen. What do you think? Uh, I'm long. I'm staying long. I sort of I feel like they've got a little bit of momentum after what was a really disastrous start to the year. So I'm staying long, but I'm not pounding the table here. I wouldn't I wouldn't be adding a lot. And have we answered the question of own it, don't trade it, trade it, don't own it? I think I think you can be a trader and an investor. I am a trader. That's what I know what I do. Three weeks to three months is my time horizon. I will wait on Apple. I will play that 5G rollout, but it won't be tomorrow morning. Price action tomorrow is going to be really interesting. I mean, if this is one of those things when Jim talks about all the time, it opens at 214 on big volume fades the rest of the day. That might be a tell, and Brian could absolutely be right. I do think you can trade the stock. No, no disrespect to Tim or Jim Cramer. It's provided you some great opportunities. Not to say that I've gotten it right, but I think as a trader, you can absolutely trade this. And I think tomorrow, in terms of volume, in terms of price action, that'll be the tell for the next By the way, this weeks. is 10% of the triple Qs. This is 17% of the XLK, and it's obviously 3.5% of the S&P. So it, it, it's, it's a big deal for markets tomorrow, to state the obvious. Yeah, indeed. We're going to keep you covered on all the big moves after hours and bring you the headlines as they break. Check out AMD up after a big beat. Amgen pretty volatile this afternoon. We'll bring you the very latest. Plus, Mark Zuckerberg taking the stage today at Facebook. Books developer conference driving home his push for privacy, but will Wall Street buy in? We've got those details. We are live from Times Square in New York City. A lot more fast money right after this. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast. 
generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to Fast Money and Earnings Alert on Amgen, the drug maker pretty volatile in the after hours. Let's get to Meg Terrell at HQ monitoring the call on the blue biotech phone, Meg. <laughs> hey, Carl. Well, a pretty tepid response from Wall Street to Amgen's first quarter beat. Uh, let's get right to the Wall Street reaction. Jeffrey's Jared Holt saying that one, some one-timers helped drive the earnings beat, but interestingly, drugs facing patent cliffs and IP challenges, namely Enbrel, a beat, which probably will not be viewed as sustainable. Uh, over at Baird, Brian Scorney telling us, quote, there isn't a lot to be excited about. Amovig, that's their big new or supposed to be big new migraine drug, looks pretty bad for what people think could be a mega blockbuster class of drugs at this point. That drug coming in at about $59 million in revenue for the quarter. Analysts have been looking for at least $82 million. Uh, thirdly, we'll get to J.P. Morgan's Corey Kazimov saying, again, Enbrel reported a noteworthy beat, albeit new launches, Amovig again and Repatha, that's a cholesterol drug, were somewhat discouraging. So guys, you can see why Amgen not really trading up so much in the after hours. Carl, back over to you. All right, Meg, thanks very much. It's worth noting so far this year, biotech more than tripling the performance of the broader healthcare sector, both still underperforming the S&P. Does this have more to do with biotech or the historic underperformance of the broader healthcare space? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. And then also you overlay the political climate that we're in, right? So, I mean, for me, I, even though they're down a lot, I can't live with the overnight. They have some failed drug trial. I just can't live with that kind of uncertainty. So if you want to be exposed to the XBI or the IBB, that would be the way to play they it. They traded horribly coming into this, though. So I think tomorrow morning, tomorrow, for the next couple of weeks, it's not going to look good for these. They didn't trade well. They've come off their highs, closed near the lows of the day today. Now you've got Amgen, the biggest one out there, coming out with what is, looks like lackluster uh, results. Not that they were lackluster I, results, but the response is lackluster. I would stay away from these. I think the results Results are pretty good. I mean, they beat on EPS, they beat on revenue, they raised the lower end of guidance by the beat, a little more than the beat, which is good. As Meg mentioned, Enbrel was a beat. Is it sustainable? We'll find out. Same with New Lasta. And in terms of this, she mentioned a drug, uh, Amovig, that just started a promotional campaign. You can't watch TV now without seeing a, a, an advertisement for the migraine I'll tell you drug. What, I've had some and migraines lately. And, and <laughs> i got to tell you, you know, from $60 million, it was, it was, 60 million, it was yeah, light. Math is tough. But this is a drug that can grow. So valuation is compelling. The stock hasn't traded well. BK's right. But I think you can own it here. Well, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Also, Repatha sales in the U.S. were up 90%. So this is another one of the drugs they don't talk about. Look, we've gotten so used to talking about the big three or four in the biotech world in terms of the pipeline that's going dry, and people forget about the balance sheets on these companies and the strategic positioning. I think the, I think sector in the mega cap biotechs is as poor as we've seen it in a couple of years, and, and I think based upon that, these numbers were absolutely fine. I don't see a turnaround overnight, but I think you're safe here with these balance sheets. When we talk about the policy uncertainty on health care, are we still worried about drug pricing, regulation, crackdown in Congress, things like that? The president? I mean, I think it's out there once you, you know, you'll see, obviously, Democrats are really going to pound that hard. And maybe maybe that's a bipartisan issue. So I think for a while that will still be around. But every single time that's happened, it has been the chance to buy it if you can just hang on for long enough. All right. Coming up, uh, check out where we stand with Apple. Tim Cook speaking on the conference call right now as it inches closer to a trillion dollar mark. That price, 212.08, plus a record close for the S&P as we go into the month of May. Tony Dwyer says, don't chase this rally. He'll join us next. Much more Fast Money after a quick break.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their US oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com/meetingdemand. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P 500 closing at a new high to end the month of April as the record rally rolls on. Let's get to Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange for more. Hey, Bob. Hey, Carl. You know, the win streak continues. Four straight months of gains with a surprising sector on top for April. Banks, who would have thought? You know, its rates have stayed low. Loan growth has been anemic in the last couple of years. Banks have dramatically underperformed the S&P 500. The S&P is up 23 percent in the last two years, only 6 percent for the banks. This is just the last two years, but not this month. Banks are up 9 percent, outperforming just about everything else, including techs up 6 percent, communication services up 6 percent, consumer discretionary is good. Healthcare is the big laggard as Lilly and Merck, they're lagging on concerns about drug pricing. Healthcare providers like United Health, Universal Health, they're down on Medicare for all concerns. Earnings surprises were the major reason the top companies outperformed this month, led by Disney up 23 percent. Not a typo there. That's the best month for Disney since 2000. The same with United Rentals. Great earnings reports, also up 23 percent. Ford was a surprise with terrific earnings as well. It's up almost 20 percent. Facebook surprised up 16 percent. J.P. Morgan even, it's up 15 percent. Separately, Anadarko Petroleum rallying 60 percent after the bidding war between Occidental and Chevron. And Qualcomm up 51%. You know why? In April, it settled that royalty dispute with Apple. So we're at the halfway earnings point. Carl up 0.7% for the S&P 500. No earnings recession. Carl? As you called it, Bob. Uh, Bob Bassani, thanks. Uh, do we okay. like any of these names here? And what's your top-down look right now, BK? What do you think of the overall market? Well, so in general, I, I think we're a little extended on the shorting, uh, on, the, on the trading aspect of it. But in general, as long as the Federal Reserve wants to be easy money and they're talking about potentially cutting rates, you have to be long stocks in some fashion. You can trade around them. Maybe there's a pause coming. We'll talk about that. But I think as long as you have this environment and you have a, G, a good GDP, you have global growth, why not be long some stocks? Yes, yeah, I'd like to talk about energy for a second, because I think this Anadarko bid is something that's going to continue to ripple throughout the energy sector. And even though there's some awful stories like Rig, which was down almost 10 percent today, if you look at the let's call them the high quality EMP names, whether that's EOG, whether that's APC, et cetera, um, relative to the current price of Brent, which, by the way, is one of the best charts in any market you can look at right now. Um, these things are trading very cheap relative to an oil and to an asset price. And they're, they're companies that are being run differently. So, again, the energy sector is underperformed. This still has short interest that's near record. 
record highs um, with fundamentals that have gotten a lot better. I, I would stay there. Real quick, Disney to me has really gotten ahead of itself. Now, ESPN was a problem, but we talked about it way back when. It was a $99 stock on this show, legalized gambling. That was the lifeline. We had the conversation. Now, some 32% later, you're wondering if all the good news is priced in. Disney better crush numbers on May 6th, and I mean crush numbers. Otherwise, they're 21 times next year's numbers, in my opinion, are just way too rich. Yeah. Bank leadership, how important yeah. is it right now? Well, uh, thank God. I mean, it's been a long time <laughs> coming. I've been waiting for that for a while. I still think they have room to run. To me, of all that list, though, United Rentals, I think, is actually the most interesting. It's up a lot, but if I own none, I would absolutely be buying it right here. I think if we get an infrastructure deal. Did this meeting seem important to you today between the Dem leaders and the president? I mean, $2 yeah, trillion is being $2 thrown $2 trillion is great, but it's the how-do-we-pay-for-it meeting in three weeks that I think will probably be a little less... Which, which is another way of also, if you add in how do we pay for it, how do you deal with a, a deficit that's getting almost absurd, but $2 trillion in stimulus at a time when, look, we've got a Fed meeting tomorrow where people expect zero out of this Fed for a long time. Uh, we've got a payroll number on Friday, which to me seasonally is going to have the risk to a very, very big number. Uh, and people are way off sides on any type of hawkishness. So you throw in uh, an infrastructure bill, and, and I think you get to a place with a 3% economy that, that you could have a lot more Fed than anybody knows about. With the S&P at record highs uh, and now up more than 17% for the year, our next guest says, don't chase the rally. Tony Dwyer of Canaccord Genuity welcomes, uh, is here on set. Welcome, Tony. Good to have you. Good to see you, Carl. Uh, oh, we should mention, too, Fed decision tomorrow on a day today where the president says cut by a full point and embark in <laughs> QE4. Uh, why is that not good for equities? Well, you know what's the best for equities? And, and we're expecting a little bit of a pause here, which is why you teased it the way you did. Um, the stimulative effect of the 10-year note yield dropping from three and a quarter to two and a half and having a re-steepening of the 210 spread on the U.S. Treasury yield curve, I think that's way more important than what the Fed is going to say tomorrow because they're likely to really say nothing other than, you know, the data is coming in, it's skewed to the downside, second quarter or first quarter inventories or uh, GDP was skewed by inventory. This is all, and we've talked about it on the show a bunch of times, Carl, this is all a kind of a... Um, a rhyme to 1995, where 1994, at the end of 94, the Fed had doubled interest rates and the GDP numbers were great because inventory was ballooning the GDP numbers. The, the economy was starting to slow down, housing, autos, consumption, because you had this rate spike very similar to what happened to last year. You came into 1995 with a final rate hike in February on good data, payroll numbers, as Timmy suggested. And then by July, just five months later, they actually cut rates with the market up almost 20 percent and did it again in December, up 34%. Do you think that's why Chicago PMI is rolling over? Uh, uh, purchasing managers beginning to feel that inventory bloat? Yeah, that, Carl, the whole bull story here isn't great data. It's positive but slower data. You want to keep the Fed off the game. That a dovish, low inflation, dovish, dovish pivot by the Fed, re-steepening the curve, helping lending, slow but positive growth equals better earnings, and, that, and you're getting a little bit of a multiple recapture from last year's decline. So, Tony, what happens, let's, let's say the Fed does cut. You sound bullish, by the way. Oh, you, well, you Sorry. know me, Tim. Yeah. Until you shut down credit, I'm going to be bullish. There's times, though, when, if you remember, at the end of December, came on the show, and one of the indicators I used at the Plasma was a 14-week stochastic on the S&P 500. It was five. It just never stays there. Now it's 98, probably be 99 tomorrow after Apple. Doesn't stay there long either. I just think you got to own them if they come in. I just, there's times where you don't want to chase them aggressively uh, on some of the names that the guys have talked about. So let's say they come in a bit and we get an even more dovish Fed. They hint that they actually might take the president's suggestion and cut rates. 
what happens to the stock market? It goes bananas. Okay. Like people keep thinking slower growth, everybody's going to be nervous, the Fed knows something. They've been wrong every cycle in their history, <laughs> and we keep thinking they know something. You know what knows something? The markets know something. The bond market and the credit markets know something. One of the things that kind of is a pet peeve for me is when the, with the bond yields down at 2.5% in the 10-year, people say the bond market's quote-unquote telling us something. Really? Because the high-yield market's at a record on the Barclays High Yield Total Return Index. Define which bond market. We have strong risk on move, and we have that decline in the 10-year. And it, it brought a full percentage point decline in mortgage rates on 30-year fixed. Somehow that's, that's just not bad when you haven't shut down credit. Tony, the dollar, U.S. dollar strength has been pretty unbelievable in the wake of everything you just talked about. At what point do you think that becomes a headwind, if at all? I, Guy, I don't think it's going to be a headwind. So if you look at a real strong dollar, look at 2013-14. That's a strong dollar. This is trading around in a pretty narrow range after that 2014 move. The dollar index is exactly where it was, almost exactly where it was at the end of 2014. So you've had some you know, up moves above it, down moves below. You've created this trading range. It really isn't as, the dollar's always one of those things that's a negative because if, if it's a tailwind, well, it's just currency translation, doesn't count, it's not organic. When it's a headwind, oh, the dollar's a headwind. So it's one of those things that kind of discount. You mentioned this 95 template. Uh, we've been hearing the word insur- insurance cut in a 95 type framework. Does that make sense to you? It does. So if, you're, if I'm in the Fed, let's pretend I'm in the Fed, I'm scared as hell that we've had the kind of stimulus we've had for 10 years and we can't even get to the 2% they want as average. They're at 1.8% on core PCE. How are you going to get to an average at 2% if you haven't changed your policy? So I think all of us would agree at the end of last year they made a policy mistake by raising rates. If you take back that policy mistake, all of a sudden you probably got a 210 spread on the yield curve of somewhere around 40 to 50 basis points, exactly what happened in the middle of 1995. And again, the global economy had um, some green shoots pivot in the middle of 95. The U.S. economy reaccelerated from the middle of 95. They cut rates in July of 95, again in December of 95, after a 34% move, and then again in early 1996, because they're scared of inflation. That's a bigger problem when you can't get inflation where you need it than trying to stop it. Tony, thanks. Like thanks for having me, Carl. Got your thoughts. And ahead of the decision tomorrow, you know, the Fed's I, got some, some structural issues on inflation yeah. they didn't, maybe didn't have 20 years well, ago. Well, I mean, because they're fighting windmills. I mean, they're fighting, the, they, they can't, they'll never get inflation where they want it based on the way they look at inflation, in my mean? opinion. I think inflation fighting in windmills? all the wrong, Don Quixote, you've raised, yeah. we went to college like, together. I can't you do math in my head. <laughs> I said you can do math. I, no I said you can do it in your head. Yeah, right, right. I lost my train of thought. I'm kidding. No, I think, again, they're never going to get the numbers they need because those numbers don't exist anymore. Inflation's in all the wrong places. They just don't want to admit it. And I don't think, and I don't want to get down this rabbit hole again, I actually think they were on the right track, the Fed, in October. I think they're making a policy mistake now, but that's for another show. I think they are gone. They have absolutely left the building. It doesn't matter what we print on uh, GDP or, or inflation. And, They'll and, let it go above two. That's fine, too. Just remember, in June, they're go- they, are, they are actively revamping their policy. And in June, they are likely to come out with this new policy or at least some framework for it, which may include inflation targeting, which means even let's just even say they were able to target inflation, which we know they haven't been able to do. But even if they were, you still probably want to be long some stocks so you can beat long-term infl- inflation in the long run. So even if it's at two or three percent, that's not horrible. 
Well, and, and if everything you guys say in terms of the Fed being missing in action, the dollar going weaker, um, an infrastructure bill, uh, you want to buy Europe right now. You want to buy emerging markets because, again, if the dollar is not your issue and the Fed's not your issue, these are markets that have massively underperformed uh, and, and arguably have better earnings profile in some of these other parts of the world. I realize China uh, data has been awful, but actually you've now didn't see this inflection higher. I think these markets, by the way, European markets are breaking above 200 days and they're actually breaking out. Yeah, we've been hearing that more and more. Is Europe the new long, uh, given some of the GDP numbers and even German CPI, I think, uh, this week, surprised on the upside. For more on uh, the markets and what to buy at record highs, head to tradingnation.cnbc.com. Still ahead on fast, check out Apple surging after a big beat. Cook is speaking on the call right now. Stock coming just a touch off the after the bell highs. Plus, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg doubling down on his commitment to privacy at the company's developers conference earlier today. Will that move the needle for the stock? Those details when fast money comes back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook soaring this year, making a comeback after a year marred by those data and privacy scandals that hit the stock. Mark Zuckerberg addressed those concerns on stage today, pitching a whole new vision for privacy to redefine the social company. Julia Borston was at Facebook's annual F8 developer conference in San Jose, and she's with us live. Hi, Julia. Well, Carl, Mark Zuckerberg says the future of Facebook is private and the encrypted end-to-end -end messaging and private messaging that they're focused on now will end up being more valuable to the company in the long term than the more public form of the newsfeed. Take a listen. I get that a lot of people aren't sure that we're serious about this. <laughs> I know that we don't exactly have the the strongest reputation on privacy right now, to put it lightly. But I'm committed to doing this well. Zuckerberg unveiling a redesigned Facebook app featuring groups and stories from close friends. Facebook showing new tools for brands to drive e-commerce, including ads for brands to engage with consumers on Messenger, as well as the ability for consumers to make purchases directly from Instagram creators on that app. The company also showcasing its upcoming Messenger redesign. That is the centerpiece of the company's new focus on private messaging. Now we're working towards making end-to-end -end encryption and reduced permanence the default across all conversations. And when we do this across uh, both Messenger and WhatsApp, we're going to enable more than 2 billion people around the world to have their most personal conversations with each other privately without having to uh, worry about hackers, uh, governments, or, or even us being able to see what you're saying. Now, Facebook shares didn't move much on today's news, but last week they did gain over 8% on earnings results and also CEO Mark Zuckerberg reassuring investors that the shift in strategy to focus on privacy would not have any negative long-term effects over the long run and that they would be able to achieve their long-term uh, potential revenue goals. Now, Etsy shares, though, I have to say, Etsy shares did drop on today's news that Facebook is so focused on e-commerce and giving those tools to developers. Back over to you, Carl. Fascinating, Julia. Thank you very much. Uh, let's trade this, Karen. Yep. Public, private. Do we know yeah. what this co company believes in terms of social right now? No, but we believe they want to make money. I really believe <laughs> okay. that. I mean, they are really committed to that cause. And, uh, you know, so obviously they've had a very difficult year, but I don't think they are the, the sole poster child anymore for bad privacy behavior. So I think that is somewhat fading. I think them doing that, the 
putting aside the FT reserves for the FTC charge. That's good. They're asking for legislation so they know how they can comply. So they so they're not always you know, in trouble. And I think also one other minor thing, we have Slack, maybe that gives us a little bit of sense of what WhatsApp, what it, maybe, what could that be worth? I don't know how the privacy ultimately plays out though, but I am long. I do think at this level, I mean, that last earnings quarter was phenomenal, especially in light of, you know, Google's complete whiff yesterday. Do, can you compare fun. it to when they got religion on mobile? Remember that? Yeah. I, well, first of all, I, I think they're getting religion on, on privacy is is something they've had no choice. And, and and I don't think they've they've led innovation there. I think they, they've obviously been following their tail. And so um, it's one of the reasons why, and I've kind of been clear on this view. I, I think Facebook is not going to outperform um, the triple Qs or the rest of its, you know, call it even the social media space, but but certainly uh, the broader tech world, as it hasn't for the last three years until we really understand what privacy means at this company. So I, I still think the jury's out, even though Look, there's no question that they're they're you know they're 2.4 or 2.6 billion uh, daily actor users is a ridiculous inside advantage. Well, there's there's a lot of competition in the messaging space and particularly the privacy messaging space that are giving it away for free. Telegram, Signal, massive base there. So I am skeptical that Facebook will actually be able to pull this off. I'm also skeptical that they'll be able to make money off this. Their entire business is taking your data and selling it. Now, they may not actually sell the data. They'll sell ads against it. So they have to now turn this business and make it an e-commerce business. Maybe they can do it, but that's not their core competency. So I'm 93% of their ad revenue now is mobile. So there's not a lot left in, in terms of that. But, but it's remarkable nonetheless, right? And that headcount increased 36% year over year. I mean, that's a significant number. I think to BK's point, uh, tremendous quarter. Karen's right. But how much is left? This was a $210 stock, give or take, in July of last year. We obviously know where it traded down to. We're right back there again. You're either going to have the mother of double tops or things going to go blowing through. A lot of analysts upgraded it, $240 price target. I don't see it in this environment. So I'm inclined to be telling people to take profits at these levels. I love your Facebook page, by the way. I know yeah. my Pinterest, Pinterest. page <laughs> is <laughs> ridiculous. It's Pinterest, which, by it. the way, on has on done on very I'm well. Yeah. You are on it. I am on it. We're going to get Carl on. Yeah. If I could You're remember my password, I'd put on it. Maybe, maybe another time. Check out some of our earnings movers as we go to break. Apple and AMD soaring as conference calls are underway. Full team coverage, Gene Munster, Josh Lipton monitoring Apple. We'll get you the very latest when Fast Money comes back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple's conference call going on right now. Let's get back to Josh Lipton and get details. Josh. Carl, so on the conference call, uh, Apple CEO Tim Cook talking more about the iPhone, not just how it did in the quarter, but also the trends he's seeing in the iPhone franchise. Take a listen. For iPhone, while our worldwide revenue was down 17% from a year ago, declines were significantly smaller in the final weeks of the March quarter. Looking back at the past five months, November and December were the most challenging. So this is an encouraging trend. We like the direction we're headed with iPhone, and our goal now is to pick up the pace. 
Now, CFO Luca Maestri, Carl, was also on the call going through some of the other segments. So Maestri talking about services, $11.5 billion, up 16%. Uh, called a double-digit growth that they saw in the App Store, Apple Pay, among other segments. Uh, Maestri saying services accounted for 20% of revenue in the quarter and one-third of gross profit dollars. Uh, he also talked about wearables. They set a new March record for wearables. The wearables business actually exec saying now the size of a Fortune 200 company Remember, Apple, of course, introduced the watch four years ago. Maestri saying the watch produced the best results ever for a non-holiday quarter. It's for their cash position. Uh, Maestri saying they ended uh, $225 billion in cash. It was a net cash position of $113 billion. They returned $27 billion to shareholders in the quarter. Of course, the board did authorize that additional $75 billion uh, for share repurchases. They raised their dividend at $0.77, cents, an increase of 5%. The outlook, 52.5 to $54.5 billion. Remember, uh, the street there was at 51 Point nine billion. Carl, back to you. All right, Josh, thanks so much. Let's get back to Gene Munster. Gene, what's the most important thing you've heard so far tonight? Carl, kind of buried in Cook's comments, he said that Apple is tinkering with different installment plans. And I want to try to decode what that means is that this iPhone upgrade program that's had some success about buying your phone on a subscription basis, the hardware piece, it sounds like that they're tinkering with maybe extending that to other products. I don't expect any announcements in the next quarter or two, but I think that thematically longer term, this is really important for the stock. And the reason is that if Apple does, in fact, start selling products more holistically, this is a one-stop shop, more like a consumer staples type of a company, and you're buying it on a monthly basis, that inevitably would be a higher multiple for investors. So I was very much encouraged uh, by that little nugget that Tim Cook gave us. All right, you want to grade the uh, quarter uh, in your view, Gene? Yeah, Carl, it's an A minus. And uh, specifically is I think that uh, what they're doing in terms of cash buyback and just the strength of this earnings is largely uh, misunderstood. I suspect a lot of analysts tomorrow are going to bump up their price targets. But I want to impress upon people that this could be a much bigger company. You know, we talked about that $350 if you put kind of a, a, a low 20s, a Coca-Cola multiple on this gets you to a $350 stock. All right, Gene, A minus. Uh, Tim, you agree? Was that oof? No, no, no first of all, Gene, Gene has done, Professor Munster has done a phenomenal job yeah. this week grading the full spectrum of, of students. You know, and frankly, I think on Apple, um, I, I think the call here is really that this is a capital market story um, that no, no matter what you think is going on with iPhones, it's going to continue to be uh, a, a major support. Gene told us this is 25% upside in the stock alone. So, again, I, I think this was an exciting day for Apple, even though we expected nothing major. Right, but that 25% is over the next three years. That's what Gene's looking for, right? So let's talk about tomorrow morning. We've got something. We've got an A-minus quarter, which I would probably agree with Gene. We've got a stock that's bumped up against resistance now, and we've got most of the stuff priced in. So there's nothing in this conference call, nothing that I've heard so far that changes my mind. I still think you take profits tomorrow. What was your worst grade in college? Do you remember? <laughs> A-minus. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like Melissa Lee. I mean, A-minus, the worst grade. Gene's been a pretty fair grader. I think that's a solid eight quarter, though. I mean, I don't get. I don't know what else you have to do. What else you have to do? And again, what do they need to do, Tim Seymour, to get an A from Gene Munster? I think maybe we needed to see north of twenty on services. I think the guidance. I think the guidance on China would have been something, even though it was better quarter over quarter sequentially. And again, they're non-comparable quarters on some level. Um, But I do think that getting China back in line is a place where people need to see for this company to give it that nest boost. Can we say they're back on offense in any way, Karen? Yeah, I think that's fair to say, right? They did talk about some other things, wearables. Yeah, all that having been said, though, I'm just doing nothing tomorrow. It's, it's <laughs> me doing nothing. 
Isn't it also fair to say, though, that Apple swings the pendulum in terms of being people being overly ebullient to being on the other side of it? I don't think we're even at that overly yeah, ebullient side point. yet. Mm. Mm. Word, though. Mm. That is what I do word. here, guy. I can't have the math in my head, but I, I said you can do the math in your head. <laughs> Check out Advanced Micro jumping after a big earnings beat. Stocks now up nearly 60% this year. Do not miss an exclusive with Lisa Sue on Mad Money tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Still much more Fast Money Ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. GE rallying today after beating earnings and affirming guidance yep. for the year. Some traders still betting the rally will be short-lived, though. Mike Coe's in San Francisco with the options action. Mike? Yeah, so GE saw about two times the average daily options volume today, and that actually made it the second most active single-stock option after Apple in terms of contract quantities. Despite, I think, what was widely viewed to be a better-than-expected result, the most active options were actually the June 9 puts. Over 36,000 of those traded in total today. That included a purchase of 33,600 of those for $0.19. Cents. So somebody is making a bearish bet that this relief rally that we've seen in GE might be over within the next seven weeks or so and that the stock could see a decline of about 13% from the levels where it closed today. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, Tim, GE, one of your draft picks. It was one of my draft picks once again. And I, the number one pick, and I tell you, it's a lot of pressure, and people were booing me out of the arena. Uh, but here's why GE was a good pick for a stock draft on CNBC's Power Lunch. It's one of the great events in financial TV. Um, because this is a balance sheet cleanup story. This is also uh, essentially something, a, a company that, to me, uh, it, you're not playing it for EPS. You're playing it some of the parts, but it's a cleanup. Again, today's free cash flow outflow, $1.3 billion versus expected. That, to me, is what this is all about, folks, and I stay long. It's a long season, though, Carl, and unfortunately, being in first place on day four doesn't do me so well. Now, hold on real quick. My pushback that day of the stock draft was GE would have been there at 11. You didn't have to take it, number one. It would have fell on your left. I I happen to know that. I I, I spoke to all the I think the Beerstown ladies who snake me out of picks every year (laughs) might have been waiting in the (laughs) Might want to give them a call. So, I mean, so maybe stats progress, but here's the important thing. Investors are actually starting to buy into the story. We had we had this turnaround story for a long time. Investors didn't buy into it. So I think that's the big difference here. I actually I'm, I'm with Tim on this one. I think you can hold this. Interesting favor was with uh, Ed Garden out at the Milken Institute today. And, and, and said he says you can sort of feel we're starting to get our sea legs again. And I think, I mean, to Tim's point, it's so turbocharged. I own the leap, so if it starts working great, they'll work a lot, or they could go to zero, but that would be good if they could get a little positive momentum. All right. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, of course, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, some final trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. So let's continue on with GE really quickly. Don't look at EPS because it's not essentially a valuation story. It's a balance sheet cleanup story. GE, long. BK. Well, I'll broaden that out a bit. If you want you want a weak, or you want a, a, a Fed, a dovish Fed, easy for me to say, you buy XLI. Karen. Yes, retail's been tough, but Target, I know it's been down in the, in the face of Amazon one-day delivery, but I still believe that it's cheap and they are doing a good job. Thank Great God. to have you, Q. Yes. Great to Clap have you. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Yeah. A fun show. McKesson, very bad over the last couple of months. Seems to be turning. You get long into their May 8th earnings release. Mm-hmm. Guys, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, real Being pleasure. Here. That does it for us. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.